Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unwrap, the Pick and Roll podcast presented by FBL Fantasy Ballers League. My name's Adam Webster, and I'm thrilled to be bringing you this podcast series where we delve into the stories presented by the fantastic writers of pickandroll.com.au and have the pleasure of talking to Australian basketball legends, players, coaches, agents, and many more. I'm joined this week by pick and roll writer Michael Huben. Michael, we've got a really special interview with one of Australian basketball's up-and-coming stars for the first episode of the podcast. I'll let you do the honours. Can you introduce this person and also your experience watching them over the years? Yeah, thanks, Adam. Obviously, great to be a part of the first ever episode for the podcast and really excited to be chatting to Alex Tui, one of the Australian next stars that we have in the NBL this season. Been watching him for a few years at the Centre of Excellence. He's a guy that's blown up, had some really high major interest in college, explored that route, eventually ended up with the Sydney Kings and we're seeing him have an amazing season so far. So really keen to pick his brain and find out what he has to say about his success so far. Well, there you go. Alex Tui, the very first guest on Unwrap, the Pick and Roll podcast. See you on the other side. Welcome back to Unwrapped, and for the first episode, I think it's really important that we get a stellar guest on for all of our new listeners. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to episode one. Um, For Michael and I, uh, this has been in the works for a little while, and we've been really excited to have a chat to Sydney Kings forward, Alex Tui. Alex, thanks so much for coming on the Pick and Roll Unwrapped. No, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Uh, We've got a lot of topics to cover today. We probably won't get to every question we want to answer, um, but... We want to talk to you about, we're halfway through your first pro season ever. So we wanted to know what it's like being a pro. Has it lived up to your expectations? Have there been things that you didn't expect uh, in your pro career that have happened that have made you go, wow, I didn't think it'd be like this? Or has it all pretty much gone to exactly what you've been built up for it to be uh, over your youth career? Yeah, it's been good, obviously, halfway through the season now, so definitely more comfortable now than obviously starting preseason a few months ago. But I think in terms of what I expected, I was kind of obviously expecting a physical league. Um, Obviously the pros and the guys that have been around for so long was going to be good to get out there and battle with them. So definitely adjustment coming into training camp and that kind of period. Um, In terms of the lifestyle, I think there's a lot of free time that I wasn't too sure that we'd have. I wasn't sure if it was going to be training all the time or what that sort of thing was going to look like, but we go hard in training and we're usually there for um, about half the day. So we've got to make sure we're getting getting our body right outside of our training block. So there's a lot of kind of looking after yourself. But I think that's something that, that I've been big on, obviously, at the, the Centre of Excellence in Canberra. They try and teach us all that stuff. So I think just all the stuff off the court um, is just as important as on the court. And that's something that I've definitely come to learn. One of the things that I found, Alex, obviously we spoke back at the Blitz and you were doing great there. Um, but that stuff doesn't always translate to the real league. Have you noticed the difference from the preseason to now? And is the role that you're now playing what you expected when you joined on? Yeah, I think obviously the preseason is a bit different. We didn't have the greatest preseason of the Blitz, losing three games in a row. So I think a few people were a bit skeptical of that. I think coming from that, it's obviously different. I think teams are trying to find out their identity. There's always injuries that come along in the season Um, in terms of my role I think definitely feel comfortable in my role my role and coach has been big on just making sure everyone's clear with um, what their role is so I'm out there to shoot threes get on the rim play defense on multiple positions so I feel comfortable with what coach wants me to do and the different situations that he puts me in coming off the bench starting just 
anything I feel comfortable with. And he's big on communication. So he'll let everyone know what, what he's thinking. He's not going to do something without telling you. So he's, he's big and letting us know. So I feel definitely comfortable. Yeah, that seems like the biggest difference going from, you know, where you were at the COE to joining a pro team is sort of finding that niche and that role that you can fill, especially for a Kings team that's so deep and so talented. Has that sort of crystallized in your mind the sort of player that you are and, and maybe what you could be, you know, going forward into the NBA where you're playing alongside all these stars and things like that? Yeah, definitely. I think having Jalen Adams and Denzel and DJ and those kind of superstars around me, definitely looking at them and how they go about their business is great, trying to learn from them. And then in terms of playing style, I think obviously you have a higher role at the junior levels with the ball in your hands more. So coming into the Kings and not having the ball as much in my hand, but still figuring out ways to help the team win. I think that's big. And I think that's definitely going to correlate into the NBA. Obviously the whole league is about spacing and being able to knock down threes for superstars like Giannis getting downhill. So just, getting used to that early and understanding that if I do take that next step, that's going to be a big thing that can help me on the court. And then defense is obviously the thing that's going to put me on the court in the first place. So going against bigger bodies, trying to guard quicker guards, guarding Jalen at, at training, just trying to get used to them and what moves they like. I think that's big and just trying to understand the game and get ready for the next level. Building on that, you've appeared on some mock drafts over the last couple of months. Do you follow that sort of stuff? Do you kind of try and shut it out and just focus on your game? How does that, I guess, um, shape any uh, of your thoughts about whether going to the NBL was the right decision? Because it certainly seems like based on the mock drafts, based on you know your growth as a player and, and the experience that you're talking about here, that it was a great decision for you to, to decommit and, and come over back home. Um, so how does that feel and how does it sit with you to to be part of those sorts of conversations yeah it definitely feels good to kind of see my name on a few drafts and that sort of thing and i'm i'm not ignorant to it i know that people have me at certain certain ranks and some higher than others i think that's just understanding the game and understanding that that's their business to try and put who they think is going to be there at the end um so i i, I listen to that and i don't take it as a compliment as offense i guess i understand that's their opinion and I'm just trying to do the best I can so just yeah game by game try and get out there and do my thing and I know that when it comes down to the time that I'll have to declare if I don't declare then the decision makers will be really looking at what I've done throughout the year obviously that stuff that's out of your control but is that something that drives you as well I mean for me I've been you know following you for a while and I I, I want to say I'm a day one fan here I've I <laughs> the whole time but you look at guys like Sam Vecini just out of nowhere, suddenly you're 30 on this mock draft, for instance. And for me, that was a bit jarring just relative to uh, the, the kudos that you've received so far in your career. So for you, I know I'm sure you, you as a player probably feel like that's justified, but was that a bit shocking or surprising to you to just see that recognition come so immediately? Yeah, it was definitely a surprise. I think the person that told me kind of said, um, have a look at this, but don't don't take it with too much confidence just have a look and move on so that was pretty cool to see that but obviously just definitely cool to have that recognition of um, myself and my game of something that might not be scoring too many points but to have people look at it and see all the little things that I do is definitely felt good and then maybe confident that I'm doing the right things and just keep building in those areas. Yeah the other thing that comes to mind for me does this sort of validate your decision obviously you can Committed to Gonzaga, you decommitted, you went to the Next Stars program. You do that 
you know, for one, to help your game, but also to help your draft stock and things of that nature. Had this sort of validated that decision for you? Yeah, I think so. I think obviously things that you can kind of put a number to it of where I'm placed in that thing definitely help. But I think just the kind of confidence that I have playing in this league and knowing that I'm going against these older bodies, these professionals that have been around, just the confidence that, that that's instilled in me and just kind of looking at where I am now to where I was at the start of the year at the, the Centre of Excellence and the NBA Academy, kind of the confidence now I have is just uncanny to what I was like back then. So I definitely feel just the whole thing, even if I'm ranked at a certain level, I think just regardless, I feel a lot, lot, a lot more confident in my decision and just as a person and player in myself. Uh, you mentioned Centre of Excellence there. You grew up in Canberra. Um, and Michael, I know you've got a Canberra question that you want to ask, but this is uh, this is a little bit more fun. How many times have you been to Questacon? And uh, how how quickly has that worn off? As well as the AIS and the Centre of Excellence. Like, was it, was it really... Um, a positive experience for you and do you think it helped growing up around that environment and, and that program and being sort of close in proximity to it and therefore being home um, when you've been a part of that? Yeah, obviously love QuestCon as all the guys <laughs> at the academy that came in said like, oh, I've been here a few times but it was just to visit QuestCon, the library, yep. all that sort of... Every kid is Yeah. Yeah. Um, but growing up in Canberra and being around the academy, I think it's such a privilege for me. Um, my older brother, James, he grew up and he was friends with the guys at the academy and he'd go in and train with them a little bit. So I was very familiar with the kind of prestige of getting a scholarship there and how much that meant. So growing up, that was always a massive goal of mine. And being in Canberra and being able to be around those coaches from a younger age and being pulled into some some trainings and some camps definitely felt like that um, That helped me understand like this is where you got to be to really succeed and I think the talent there the coaching staff and how how proven the the pathway is going through the academy I think that was massive and I think some kids maybe aren't sure of what the center of excellence is and the NBA academy but just the facilities you get the people you meet the resources you have available I think it's just it's almost like a college to me I kind of felt like I was at university for two years studying training every day um, playing against older bodies so I think maybe that shaped my decision to go to the professional ranks earlier a little bit, just understanding that I've, I've kind of lived the college lifestyle and I like that, but um, I thought the professional as the next step was the right one for me. So I think just they offered so many opportunities there, trips to America, um, playing around the world, playing against great competition and just, yeah, I love my whole time there. And every time I go back, when I come back to Canberra, always try and get out there, see the guys and just, get the same feeling you did as a kid. You're a little bit nervous, but it's just, man, it's magical down there. You mentioned your brother James there. Obviously, he, you know, is playing in the NBA one competition. You had the privilege of playing against him last season. Was that a lot of uh, battles in the backyard growing up? And was it just basketball? Or, you know, I know you fancy golf swing a little bit, AT. So, you know, were there plenty of other sports that you had a passion for growing up that you did alongside James as well? Yeah, absolutely. James and I were big at, um, playing backyard cricket so every time he's in America right now but every time we get out in the backyard at Christmas and get out and battle there dad and mum would have to try and stop us from going at us even tennis just trying to beat him at anything I can but if, if he saw me playing something he'd just try and beat me at it he just for fun he was kind of that that typical big brother so I was I was so lucky to have him and he kind of built my competitive drive so um Huge shout out to him and my sister as well. She was just as competitive, trying to make sure I stay humble. And when I did kind of get a few more achievements, they were always there to kind of keep me humble and keep me grounded. 
Michael, you and I were talking about Alex's improved three-point shot, and I want to talk about golf as well. Um, there seems to be a correlation between great shooters and great golfers. I mean, Steph Curry is the, the classic uh, example. Is it because of the routine? Is it because that if you just do the same thing every single time and have the same mechanics every single time, then you'll get a better result? Like, is that the correlation between being good at golf and being a good shooter? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think obviously like like Michael Jordan, Steph Curry, all those guys that love golf. I think to me, I think it's the focus. Um, like golf's a game of millimeters, so you really got to focus and be dialed in. And if you have a bad shot, you can't let that affect the next one or the game's just going to go and deteriorate. But I've actually got a Steph Curry Davidson golf hat right here. So um, I try and I'd say that's a big dream, play a game of golf with Steph Curry. That would be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think the focus and just kind of the patience you got to have. I think there are a lot of things that correlate with shooting, but just the game of basketball in general. And obviously it's a place for you to relax and kind of take your mind off things. So yeah, I love, love playing golf. Yeah. We were talking about your shot just before and about how it's developed so much people that may not have been following you prior to the NBL may not have known how much it's grown. I think, you know, maybe even two or three years ago, you were barely shooting that three ball at national championships. And here you are, I think it's accounting for maybe a quarter of your field goal attempts with the Kings. Has that just been a confidence thing and a reps thing? Or have you had to tweak the form along the way? How did you get to the point you are now with your shot? Yeah, I think reps are always going to be a massive part of that. A lot of coaching and stuff when I was younger, um, growing up, had a lot of coaches just trying to build me with good mechanics. And then, yeah, I think under 18s, I maybe shot like five or six three-pointers and then under 20s was a bit more and obviously gradually um, kept increasing. I think a big thing is just as soon as I got here in preseason and day one, coach basically told me that you got a green light, shoot any shot you want, any three off the dribble and the catch. And I think that was a big confidence boost to me that showing that he'd seen me shooting in the preseason and he trusts that and he trusted me to shoot those shots and understand that I'm going to know the right shots to take for the team. So I think that was a massive confidence boost for me and just understanding that I can shoot and having the height and having good mechanics that it's going to benefit the team if I keep shooting. So let's talk about the Kings for a bit. You're one game out of second place. Um, You've been able to find some really good form of late um, despite that game over in New Zealand. We won't talk about that, but overall it's been, it's been a pretty good run um, over the last few weeks and being one game out of second with a team that's kind of growing together and has had, so many changes to particularly their starting lineup from their championship last season. Um, I could talk about the Cairns game from last night. That was a little chippy, but I want to talk about the Cairns game from earlier in the season, the shot clock game. Um, What was that like? Firstly, a 50 minute break in the middle of the game. That's not something that anyone's used to unless they're playing pickup and, you know, watching some other runs um, and having a break themselves. Uh, And then the, just the experience of playing without the shot clock. Now, both coaches said that they wanted to play it in the spirit of the game and, you know, and that was the instruction. Um, But I'm interested in your perspective of how you found playing that game and being involved when there isn't a shot clock that's pushing you. You could make an extra pass when you maybe couldn't before. Did that um, change the way that you played? How did you find that experience? It was one of a kind, I think. I think that was the first time a lot of our guys had had that happen. I think some uh, some Americans 
obviously play without a shot clock, so I don't know if they were more familiar with it. The last time that we played without a shot clock, we played against AJ Johnson of the yep. Illawarra Hawks, and we were we were up the whole game, and then last 40 seconds he held at the top of the key, and then last three seconds he drove and kicked out, and they hit a three, so... That was a bit of a nightmare, so had a few flashbacks for that moment when the shot clock wasn't working. But I think looking back at it, I think we played it. I don't think we held the ball for a crazy amount of times. Um, I think we both still tried to – we're both fast teams, so I think we both tried to play our natural game. There may be a few times down the stretch we had some longer possessions. Um, I think there was a bit of confusion with the eight-second eight call in the backcourt, um, so that was a bit different. But I think overall, I think the team handled it well, I think. Um, that break at halftime probably switched off for a little bit, but you're also not sure when the game's going to change, if it's going to be cancelled. So I think we did a good job to rally around that and then just come out and just finish out that kind of game and just run it out. It was definitely a big, big game for us, and I think the team learned a lot from it. It's yeah, interesting. I don't think it'll ever happen again. I don't think that, that sort of thing, Michael, will ever happen again. But it'd be interesting to see if there's any rules like tweaked in, you know, a random page in the NBL rulebook to see if they can handle it differently next time. You go, Michael. Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, was a bit of an oversight, but it's something that's so unprecedented as well. You know, who would have expected that something like that would occur? I mean, obviously adjusting to the game and the game style, playing without a shot clock is one thing, but... Your coach mentioned it, Alex, you know, just being able to get out healthy, I think, was so big as well. You know, being able to adjust to having that big delay in the middle of the game. Was that something that you worried about a little bit, Alex? Because, you know, it it is a bit jarring to go from, you know, gearing yourself up for this game, playing, and then having a 45-minute interlude right in the middle there. Yeah, it's definitely something that they kind of talked about and we obviously had to warm up again. But I think that was just moods just big on making sure we're all safe and healthy so that was a big thing for him um but i think we just we all just knew that we were either going to play or we weren't and if we were playing yeah we'll fire up and get after it so i think the guys just got back into it there's maybe a little bit of doubt as in um if the game was going to be played obviously for that reason with the injury in question but i think i think everyone came out safe and healthy so it was a good result so just wrapping up with this, we're halfway through your season. Let's fast forward to March. You're celebrating a King's third championship in a row, earmuffs, nine other NBL teams that are listening. But uh, what does the postseason and potentially that pre-draft season look like for you? Do you know what it looks like right now? Are you in planning mode with your family and your internal team to say, this is what March, April, May, June looks like for you? This is where we're going to relocate, what we're going to do? Or is that more of a... Um, let's just make the decisions once the season is over, or is it a little bit of both? Is it some big decisions are made sort of now with your consultation and some other stuff? It's just like, hey, here's what we thought would happen. Um, give it the tick. Hmm. I think that part of it, um, the management of what's going to happen, I think that'll be kind of looked after by my agent and kind of my close circle. They're probably doing some stuff behind the scenes and yep. finding out if it if it's going to be the right decision for me to declare or not to declare, I think regardless, I'll probably head over to America um, for some training over there. Obviously spend some time with the family, but I think just try and take it one, one step at a time and just try and think about not what's going to happen after the season, obviously play every game and try and play as well as I can. And then at the end of that, maybe sit back and look at our options and evaluate what the best decision is. And then the off season as well with the, same thing, what's going to be the best to try and help me next year. 
Well, we will be following you every step of the way and wishing you all the very best of luck in this NBL season, in what comes next, and realizing your dreams in the future. Alex Tui, thanks so much for being on Unwrapped. Thank you for having me, guys. Unwrapped is presented by FBL, Fantasy Ballers League, an Australian-owned and operated baller lifestyle brand that aims to provide you with the freshest lifestyle apparel and courtwear. FBL's products emphasize a perfect mix of fashion, function, and comfort and make a bold statement in their distinctive white, black, and gold colors. From hoodies, jackets, t-shirts, and socks to their two signature shoes, the Edge in white and gold and the Threat in black and gold. Be bold with gold. Check out the FBL collection at fblsport.com today. Welcome back to Unwrapped, and it will be a feature of this show that we bring on the team from the Pick and Roll over the coming weeks and months and hopefully years to discuss the great work that they've done. A reminder, you can head to pickandroll.com.au to subscribe to the site and read all of our great articles across the world of Aussie hoops. One of those people is a person I've been working with over the last few years on Clutch Radio from the basketball show and now from the pick and roll, Tom Hirsch. Tom, thanks so much for joining me today on Unwrapped. Great to be here with you, Adam. Thanks for having me. Now, you've released a couple of articles recently, one just prior to Christmas that we'll get to, and then one this week that's particularly timely. We've had one of Australia's basketball greats ascend to the ranks of a Basketball Hall of Fame nominee. Do you want to describe to listeners who your article is about and why it's so timely that it's come out this week? Yeah, for sure. So I had the pleasure, and it's always a pleasure, to chat with Michelle Timms. Obviously, she is Australian basketball royalty, one of the greatest to ever do it uh, in an Australian Opals jersey, um, the first ever Australian to play in the WNBA as well back in the day for the Phoenix Mercury, um, and obviously just a legend around the game and still very much involved here through the Melbourne Boomers in the WNBL. Um, and with the news recently that not only herself, but Penny Taylor and Andrew Gaze um, were all announced as eligible candidates for the 2024 class of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, just a very opportune time to chat with Timsey. Um, and it also coincided with Wednesday night's game Um, Boomers, Flyers, um, and Timsey was obviously honoured at that game as part of the Melbourne Boomers 40th season celebration. So she's just an absolute legend of the game. Anytime you get a chance to chat with someone like that, it's always a treat. And the fact that she's nominated for the Hall of Fame just speaks to the quality of Michelle's career over the journey in Australia, internationally, uh, for FIBA competitions overseas. Uh, we've got two Hall of Famers right now. Lauren Jackson, of course, the greatest Australian basketball player of all time. Uh, and uh, Lindsay Gaze are our two Hall of Famers. We love a third Hall of Famer. Uh, and to her credit, Timsey, you know, played her down her own candidacy. Uh, she spoke about how nice it would be for Gaze, uh to be there with his dad. Um, she tried to pump up, obviously, Penny Taylor, who we'll talk about in a second. But... But in her own right, a five-time WNBL champion, a WNBA All-Star, had a number retired uh, in the WNBA as well. So it speaks to the fact that she was not only a fantastic player domestically, but really one of the trailblazers in what was an up-and-coming new competition in the WNBA in the U.S., she absolutely was, and I, and I described her when I was chatting with her as a pioneer of Australian basketball on the international stage in terms of the women's game. And yeah, as I mentioned at the top, 
she was the first Australian to ever ever lace them up in the WNBA. That league had just started in the kind of late 90s. Um, and she was one of the foundation players for the Phoenix Mercury, led from the front there for a few seasons as their starting point guard. And whilst she might have been t- towards the tail end of her career as a player, she was still very much a strong contributor there. Um, really, really solid performer at the WNBA level, as you mentioned, made an all-star team. Um, and then, you know, as part of that as well, she then went on to to be part of that um, silver medal winning team at the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, alongside a young up-and-coming player in Lauren Jackson. And those two generations crossed over there as well, which was really nice to see. But yeah, I mean, Timsey's done so much for the game, not only in terms of her playing career. She spent time as a coach post her playing career uh, in the WNBL with the Opals as well, uh, and still very much around the game, has her own academy that she runs now. But as I mentioned, she's always around the boomers and the WNBL. She's an advocate for women's basketball and women's sport in general and just a great supporter of it. And it's really nice for her to have this recognition. And whilst she might downplay it in terms of her pecking order next to next to Drewy and next to Penny Taylor and we can come back to those two in a moment for, for their cases but Timsey's absolutely deserving of, of the nod in that Hall of Fame and whether she gets in this year in 2024 and a future class she will get there soon enough and absolutely deserving to be there. And you have to talk about those two Olympic medals so much is made of the rose gold boomers as well it should be it was a tremendous achievement but It's not talked about enough that we have many Opals out there with multiple Olympic medals and world championship medals. Uh, It's not being celebrated enough, so I'm glad Michelle Timms is being celebrated and she has the opportunity to receive her flowers now as a Hall of Fame nominee. But let's talk about the other two nominees, starting with Andrew Gaze. I mean, what more can we really say? A mainstay in Australian basketball for all of my life. And Tom, you've got a couple of years on me, but I imagine the vast majority of your life as well. Andrew and his father, Lindsay, a current Hall of Famer, so pivotal in putting basketball on the map in this country. Um, this recognition, not a surprise to anyone in Australia, but it speaks to the importance of his international career, which is a really nice recognition and a well-deserved one. Absolutely. And and you're right, I do have a few years on you. And as, as an aside, uh, Lindsay Gay has actually coached my father, back in the 1960s. Um, So when the Tigers first joined the NBL in the early 80s, we went to many, many games and I was lucky enough to go into the locker room afterwards with with Dad and visit with Lindsay and meet a young Andrew up and coming. So I've absolutely followed the entirety of his career. But you're right. I mean, he did it all in NBL circles. We all know that and all the records and the MVPs and the scoring titles and the two championships. He won an NBA championship with the San Antonio Spurs. Let's not forget that. But I think what also sets him apart is, as you said, what he's done on the international stage. And he's the second all-time leading scorer in Olympic history on the men's side and the third all-time leading scorer in World Cup, World Championship history as well on the men's side. And I think when you couple all those things together, what he did with that amazing Seton Hall run as well, getting them to the title game, the NBA championship, and just being an advocate again for the game and the great work he does with FIBA on the commentary space these days as well. Uh, another person absolutely deserving of that nod. And again, whether he gets in this year or gets in in some future year, uh, it would just be amazing. As Timsey said, a sweet moment to see him in there alongside his old man, Lindsay. And we can't forget Penny Taylor, who has arguably the most impressive resume of the three nominees, a three-time WNBA champion, a WNBL champion, and above all else, that FIBA World Championship MVP. I mean, her career is far more decorated than any other men's player in Australian basketball history. Penny 
you know, out of the spotlight, doesn't live in Australia, um, but probably has the strongest case of the three to make the Hall of Fame given her resume, right? Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And and I think she's underappreciated here. There, there are some of these players that spend the bulk of their career overseas. And I'd put on the men's side like a David Anderson in that vein until he came back to Australia late in his career. People just don't realise sometimes what these Australians have achieved overseas. And Penny has just done it amongst the world's best. I mean, you, you mentioned the three WNBA titles. That's, that's amazing. Um, but to take Australia to a gold medal at the World Championships in 2006 and then to be named the MVP of that tournament and of that championship game, that's basically saying she was the best player on the best team in the world at that point in time. And let's not forget that this is the only time Australia has ever won a gold medal in open competition in any tournament, men's or women's. It's never happened again. Uh, it's probably going to be a long time before we do see it again. I'll never say never, but you know, with the USA's dominance on that side of things, for them to actually win the gold medal and obviously her to be leading from the front, that's a phenomenal achievement in and of itself. And then you couple that with all of her professional accolades over the journey. Um, she's an absolute treasure, one of the best we've ever produced. I mean, I would put her right up there with Lauren Jackson in terms of the best on the women's side of the game. Um, and, and she's absolutely deserving of this nod. Lauren's in there already, and I'm sure she'd love some company there at the hoop hall. It's all about Michelle Timms on the Pick and Roll. Go to pickandroll.com.au for Tom's article. And as we record this on Wednesday tonight, it's all about the Michelle Timms Cup as the Melbourne Boomers take on the Southside Flyers. You know, you're going to be at the commentary desk for this one on Clutch Radio. So take us through what this game means to both teams. The Boomers started strong, but lost their point guard for a period and struggled a little bit, which Timsy talks about in the article. The game looks to mean a lot more as the ladder's condensed quite a bit as the season's gone on. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, you mentioned the Boomers point guard, Jordan Canada. She was actually back for their game last round against Bendigo. Unfortunately, the, the Boomers went down by three points. Uh, they're still without Christy Wallace, which is another thing I spoke to Timsey about. Christy Wallace, obviously, the heart and soul of that team last season that went to the semifinals. She's just had a fantastic season with the Indiana Fever in the WNBA, but she's had some off-season knee surgery. Was hoping to be back for this game on, on, on tonight, on Wednesday night, but unfortunately, has had a bit of lingering soreness, so she's still missing. So the Boomers still not at full strength. But they've been a team that's been a bit inconsistent. They started off 5-0, and um, and now they're uh, now they've, they've won seven games and, and dropped five. Um, so you know a, a little inconsistent over the journey. Obviously, Jordan Canada missed four of those games. So tonight's huge for for that for that reason for the Boomers and similarly for the Southside Flyers. You mentioned how close the table is right now. Both these teams are on seven wins right now, uh, and this win would be really important to kind of help to solidify them in that top four race right now because it's so tight. Um, that uh, that every game counts right now, and then obviously you've got the 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 rivalry that's always there when these two teams meet, playing for the Michelle Tims Cup. Um, the Boomers got them in round one in a really tight game as well, uh, although they led by a lot at one point, and then the Flyers came roaring back. So there, there's a lot here, and then you've got the players moving between teams. Sarah Blitzarv moved from the Flyers to the Boomers this season. Leilani Mitchell went the other way. Monique Conti's played for both teams over the journey. So there's a lot of things to, to, to get to bring the best out of these two teams whenever they meet on the floor. Timsey kind of played a bit of a straight bat to your question about the rivalry between these two teams. Now, you don't have the history that Michelle does. So from your vantage point, do these teams not like each other? 
Yes, I, I would say yes, but I don't think it's about individuals not liking each other. I think it's just, it's it's that rivalry, right? And whenever they sit foot on the court against each other, they want to beat each other. And and if anyone out there was lucky enough to witness that semi-final series that went right down to the wire in the third game last season, absolutely one of the most epic playoff series you'll ever see. You could You could understand what this rivalry is really about and the passion that both teams play against and the desire to want to beat their opponents. And again, you'll see that in this game tonight. It doesn't matter which jersey you're wearing, you want to win for that jersey. Uh, and, you know, Sarah Blitzar is a great case of that where she was really deep with the Flyers last year and now moved over to the Boomers and she'll be doing everything she can to beat her old friends tonight. So there's a little extra... It, we kind of see it a bit on the men's side between United and Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, but it's not at the same level as yet because they don't have the history of these two clubs back from the old Bulleen Boomers and Dandong Rangers days. They've always been the two mainstays from Melbourne women's basketball, and they continue to go at it year in and year out. Well, another article that you wrote just prior to Christmas, and let's face it, I'll find any excuse to talk about the Jack Jumpers anytime on this program, but the fact that you've written an article gives me an in and I will take it. You wrote an article about one of my favorite NBL players, Jack McVay, just prior to Christmas. I've spent a very small amount of time with Jack and spoken to him about his mindset and his approach. You delve right into that and had some time with him. What were your takeaways from your chat with Jack and his approach to the game and his approach to life? Because it's about more than just basketball with Jack when you talk to him about this topic. Yeah, and it's a really interesting story because a lot of people won't appreciate the journey that Jack McVeigh's been on to get to where he is today. And I think that goes a little under the radar. This is a player who, in his college career, was at the University of Nebraska, played a fair bit in his sophomore year, his second year, and then in his junior year, he started having a lot of DNPs, didn't play as much, his numbers went way down, and then in his last year there, he didn't play at all. So he basically had about a year and a half of barely playing was questioning his value as a basketball player. He thought he'd failed, and those are his own words. He thought he'd failed as a basketball player, and he couldn't reconcile why what he was doing off the court in terms of practicing was not translating to on-court success. And then he started to delve a little bit more into the mental side of the game as opposed to just the physical side of the game, and that's what's really turned things around for Jack. And it's not been a quick transition. It's not been a quick journey. This has been over a number of years of really to under, trying to understand that side of things a lot more and applying different things. Um, but it's really helped him to get to where he is today. And he talked about something. I found this fascinating. He talked about there are three big glasses that need to be filled to be a good basketball player. The first one is skill in terms of your overall skill in the game. The second one is your body you know, how you move, being athletic, how strong you are, the work you put in in the weight room and so forth. And then the third one is your mind. And this is the one that we touched on a little bit bit more. And he said he thinks a lot of people leave that one unfilled and don't look at it as an area in which they can improve. So it's, you know, a lot of people are aware of the mental approach to the game, but not necessarily something they work on actively and actually try to build up as a strength. And that's something that Jack has really taken on board, um, not only for himself, but now more publicly over the last year and starting to share some of his learnings uh, via his website and his social media posts. And, and again, he boils it down to three key concepts of accountability, awareness, and action, which is really how 
he learned what he needs to do. He holds himself accountable to make sure he's doing those things and actually puts them into action. And that's what's helped to transform him from, even when he came into the NBL with Adelaide originally under Joey Wright, he was the bench player, the guy who came on and went crazy for five minutes off the bench, bringing the energy and flapping his arms around and getting all hyped and whatever. And then he'd sit down again, right? And he had a minimal impact some games. He had no impact other games. And that wasn't enough for him. It wasn't satisfying for him. And he started working on how he could have more of an impact. And then I think it wasn't really until he moved to the Tasmania Jack Jumbers under Scott Roth that he really understood how he needed to become more of a complete player while still embracing what he brings in terms of that energy and that approach on the court. And, and he talked about a really interesting conversation he had with Micah Vakona along the journey about halfway through that first season where Micah basically said, don't stop being you. What, what makes you special is really important to the way you play. Um, and so keep bringing that energy and that attitude, but just trust yourself. You're out there for a reason. And about halfway through that season, they changed some of their offensive schemes. They started utilizing Jack in the fourth spot a bit more in pick and roll sets. And his numbers just started flying off the charts in the second half of that season. And no coincidence that coincided with the Jackies making their run up the standings and obviously sneaking into the playoffs and, and that historic run all the way to the grand final series against the Sydney Kings. So it's, it's a real lesson in terms of never giving up. Um, and just believing that the work will pay off. But you have to do the right work and you have to do work in all sorts of different areas, not just practicing your shooting, not just practicing your handles, not just getting in the weight room, but thinking through your approach to the game as well and getting some help with some of those mental aspects has really been huge with, with Jack. And he's obviously now reaping all the benefits of that. He's having a career season across the board if you look at all his numbers um, and really become the heart and soul of that Jack Jumpers team. I know I don't have to tell you that, um, but it's just really, it's really nice to see that evolution in his game and that journey that he's been on. And the fact that he's now sharing that with others publicly via his website and giving back to people. And he, he spoke about how it's not just putting content out, it's actually having conversations with people and then learning from the people that he's speaking to, which only helps to further enhance his ability and his play on the court. And he does. I mean, his line is longer than anyone else for autographs after games and at events. He's beloved in Tasmania. He's also been in the league now for six seasons and he's improved his points per game average year on year, each year. There wouldn't be many players that have done that for six years running in one of the world's major competitions. I mean, for Jack, it's been incremental, but noticeable improvement. The partnership with Scott Roth has been so important Roth's emphasized Jack's defense, and while it's not the best part about Jack's game, he gives effort, and Scott Roth rewards effort. It's interesting that you mention uh, Mick of Akona. He's, you know, considered early on, he was considered by Scott Roth to be a bit of a Yoda-type figure, a confidant. He was brought in as a consultant. He's now full-time. He's found a home in Tassie. Scott Roth trusts him with crucial conversations with his players, Jack is also averaging more points than, say, Milton Doyle, who was an MVP candidate earlier in the season. He's really consistent. He goes about his business. Um, and sometimes you don't even notice that he's already got 10, 12 points. Um, but it's really interesting to hear his approach to the game uh, and his approach to uh, giving back to the community as well. He um, has an Instagram group. I believe he's developing an app. Um, he wants to help young basketball players do what he's done. And he's in a really unique position in Tasmania that's kind of unique to Tasmania. Um, he could go down as one of the best Tasmanian 
base sporting people in history. All he really has to do is stay and keep producing and keep putting out this effort. Um, he needs to play hundreds of games for the Jack Jumpers for that to take place, probably win a championship along the way. But he's got a chance to join great cricketers, great footballers um, in that sort of rarefied air in this state. So Jack's great. And Tom wrote a fantastic article on Jack McVeigh. You can, of course, check out the Jack McVeigh article, the Michelle Timms article, all of Jack's articles on pickandroll.com.au. Tom Hirsch, thanks so much for joining me on Unwrapped. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Adam. Cheers. Well, there it is, our very first show for Unwrapped, the Pick and Roll podcast presented by FBL Fantasy Ballers League. Thank you so much for joining me. My name's Adam Webster, and I'll see you again next time. Listener.